My name is Anthony. I serve on the leadership team here at Faith Covenant Church. And, you know, as Cindy had mentioned, Greg is at the Midwinter Conference, so he gave me the blessing to share God's Word with you this morning. But, you know, as, as always, let's make sure we start off on the right foot. Let's begin in prayer. Gracious Holy Father, we just thank you for this morning. Thank you for just allowing us, uh, as my wife mentioned on the way down here, just to open our eyes and wake up and just thank you for the next breath, Lord. We know all good things come from your hands. I thank you, Lord, for just the opportunity for all of us to come here and gather and just to focus on you and to worship you. I thank you for your mighty hand and helping me prepare for the messages this week, dear Lord. So now we just pray for your presence through your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would anoint the words that come from my lips, dear Lord. May they be your words and not mine, dear Lord. May we hear your voice and, and just guide the words to their intended targets, to our hearts, dear Lord, and you can start with mine. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, how are you guys doing this morning? How's everybody doing? How, how's 2023 treating you so far? I know we're only, what, three weeks into the year? But, you know, as, as Pastor Kurt reminded us last week, we certainly have been through a lot the last three years, haven't we? I mean, three years ago, we had never heard of a coronavirus. We, we didn't know anything about lockdowns. We didn't know anything about flattening a curve or shelter in place. We never wore masks in public, but today some of us even still wear a mask to the grocery store. And I can hardly blame anybody for feeling just a little bit worried about the future. I mean, no one really knows what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen next week or next month or next year. And it feels like, you know, doesn't it feel like the national blood pressure has raised like 100 points? Everybody's more edgy now. They're more cranky. They worry more. They, they worry more frequently. As Thomas Paine famously remarked in 1776, these are the times that try men's souls. Now, granted, he was talking about the American Revolution, but I think his words can adequately apply to us today. So how are you doing today? You know, if you ask that question, the standard answer we typically would get on most occasions is, oh, I'm good, how are you, right? Truth be told, we are all struggling uh, with something or, you know, maybe many things. Today, we're dealing with high inflation. We've got a resurgence of the COVID virus. By the way, I heard on the news last week that it's not a spike, it's a bump. I don't know if that makes you guys feel any better. <laughs> but there's a, lot of, there's a lot of other stuff, viruses and sicknesses that are going around. We're dealing with depleted retirement accounts. We have health issues. Many of us are taking care of uh, aging parents. We see some of our children who are struggling to make ends meet as well. And the list just keeps going on and on and on. Everybody has a story to tell, uh, even the people who seem to smile all the time. You know, some people, when you look at them, they seem like they're so well-adjusted that they don't have a care in the world, but they do. Everybody has something going on, and if you spend enough time with people, then you will discover that even the perfect people know a little bit about sorrow and heartache and, and pain and struggles. Now, I thought it was a great message last week. Kurt's message was that God's people always 
are in a season of transition. But during these transitions, he was telling us that we can experience some difficulties, some trials that bring us to a breaking point. And I think all of us, we reach a breaking point sometime or later. So how do we find the strength just to go on, just to even have enough strength to take the next step? You know, one of the pitfalls in our, our troublesome world is that we can become problem-centered more than we can be God-centered. And when this happens, then that's when we lose the proper perspective. Gradually, our problems begin to look huge, and then the strength of our almighty God looks very, very small. Instead of moving mountains by faith, we become constant worriers, creating mountains of needless pressure for ourselves and probably making life for those around us a little bit more miserable, right? So how do we break this cycle out of the cycle of worry and stress or just feeling unsure about the world that we live in today? You know, so often as we roll out of one year into the next, you know, we reflect on the past year, then we think about making some adjustments, right? Oh, I, I need to make some changes for this new year. And then we make this plan of change, incorporating these changes, followed by a resolution, I'm going to stick to this plan, I'm going to stick to it all year long. And you know, day one, we start out really good. We have some victories and just maybe a few defeats in the battle. But then days turn into weeks, and weeks turns into months, and then before you know, the, the defeats outnumber the victories. And then we find ourselves on that same roller coaster, emotional roller coaster of stress and worry and discouragement. The title of our message this morning is Strength in the Transitions. This morning, we are going to spend a little bit of time in Isaiah chapter 40. And the title in the, in the Bible for this chapter is Comfort for God's People. Now, the previous 39 chapters, if you've ever studied Isaiah... Uh, he had passages of comfort and hope, but those 39 chapters also, uh, there's a strong tone of judgment and there's warning throughout uh, the section. But beginning here in Isaiah chapter 40, the tone starts to shift, being predominantly full of comfort and blessing and full of the glory of God. As, as Isaiah wrote the first part of his book, the disaster had not yet come to the nation of Israel. People had been uh, they've grown tired of Isaiah's warnings and his constant talk of redemption and having to return to the Lord and repentance. But Isaiah wrote the second half of his book to the people of Israel and Judah, who would be in exile. They would be taken away to Babylon. So God summons his, his prophet to take a message of hope to his demoralized people. And it's the same message that will help us respond to the worry and the stress and the discouragement that we experience in our lives today. So let's start off with our, our passage this morning. We're going to look at Isaiah chapter 40, and we are going to read. Just follow along with me, verses 12 to 17. And here's what it says. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, or the, with the breadth of his hand, marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket, or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in, in a balance, who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him and who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Surely the nations 
are like a drop in the bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though, as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him, the nations, all the nations, are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. Now, in order for us to get the most out of Scripture reading, we need to really ponder what the words are telling us. What is God saying here? Isaiah, he fires off ten questions, challenging the reader to reflect on God's incomparable greatness. So let's take a look at some of these questions. And it starts in verse 12 here. First question, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Now, the average man can hold about maybe three teaspoons of water in his hand. It is estimated that the earth has 109 or 139 million square miles, three miles deep of water on its surface. But God has measured all of it in the palm of his hands. Next question, we're still in verse 12. Who has measured the heaven with a span of his hand? Now, the span of a man's hand, I would say, is probably maybe eight to, 20, eight to nine inches here. Scientists tell us that to get to the Andromeda galaxy, Andromeda galaxy, traveling at the light of speed, or the speed of light, which is 186,000 miles an hour, it would take man 2.2 million years just to get to that, that place. And yet God is described in our passage here by measuring that distance in the spans of his hands. And so we really cannot fathom the size, the power, and the greatness of our God. Still in verse 12, who has held the dust of the earth in a basket? And who has weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? So it's estimated that the landmass of our planet weighs in the neighborhood of 66 sextillion tons. I'm going to be honest. I didn't even know there was such a number before I did the research on this, but I'm guessing that's pretty big. <laughs> and yet he has held it all in his mighty hands, and I was equally impressed with the basket that he's mentioning here. But, you know, we're just getting started here when you go through this Isaiah passage, because it isn't just about the size of God. It's also about God's wisdom. Verse 13, and here comes the next question. Who can fathom the spirit of God, of the Lord? So we can interpret spirit here in this verse as the mind of God. God has the intelligence to know how much dust there is in the earth and how heavy the mountains and the hills are, but he also has the wisdom on how to use that knowledge. Nobody can understand the mind of God. God is the holder. He is the creator of all wisdom and knowledge. And it's funny because sometimes we can act as if he has hired us as his consultant, right? <laughs> when Job thought that he had a handle on what was going on, what did God do? God got in his face. And he, he asked him questions such as these. And what was Job's response? Speechless. Who has known the mind of the Lord? That was a question that the Apostle Paul quoted from Romans chapter 11, verse 34. God needs no counsel. He needs no instruction. He needs no teacher and no one to show him the way of understanding. And then we get to verses 15 to 17 in our passage here. And Isaiah states that God doesn't need the nations either, that they are as nothing to him. You know, we've heard the phrase of something being a drop in the bucket. It describes something that is so insignificant that it would take millions or billions 
just to make a difference. That was, that's the origin of, of that phrase. It comes out of the Bible. Now, of course, we would never think of saying that the nations of the earth were just a drop in the bucket. Because nations, they consist of millions of people. They, they have armies. They have large masses of land. But remember the verses that we began here in, in this scripture. God is huge. He is indescribably powerful. And truly, the nations are regarded by him as a speck of dust on a scale. Now, as God declares his greatness over all creation, he never says that creation is less than nothing and worthless. It's the nations. It's the nations who were arrogant, who were prideful against God. So it's the nations that God is counting less than nothing and worthless. Now, today, we live in concern over Russia's aggression. Uh, We have... China's financial strength, then there's Korea's nuclear program, and then there's a scattering of Middle East countries that we're concerned with because of the threat of terrorism. But the Bible says that they are less than nothing before God. The greatest glory of the greatest nation is a drop in the bucket compared to the greatness and the glory of our Lord God. You know, as we ponder the truth of of God's power and his strength that we have in this passage, many applications come to mind. And this morning, I want to share with you three practical applications that we can take to help us walk in strength instead of worry and discouragement. Here's the first application to walk in strength. We need to recalibrate our view of God. You know, when I was working at Boeing, the organization I worked for, we machined the wings of the airplanes. And we would use very precise measuring equipment because our product had some very tight tolerances on it. We would machine the wings that are 100 feet long, but we have to maintain tolerances of thousands of an inch over that 100 feet length. But sometimes these precision measuring tools, they would get out of tolerance and they would become literally useless of measuring parts. And we would then have to recalibrate these precision measuring tools using what we call a gauge block. The gauge blocks were used to set the standard for measuring devices, and just like these measuring, precision measuring tools, our view of God can get out of whack as well. That's when we need to go back to God's standard, and his standard is the Bible. It is his word. And that's when we need to recalibrate our mind and our hearts to get the right perspective on our problems, and especially of God. And properly understood, it should lead us to a calm confidence in God, even when we're going through just unspeakable tragedy and trials in our lives. It should also, you know, bring us, make us bold in our witness. It should strengthen our prayer life. And if we believe the greatness of God, then we will find the strength to persevere in the long haul. Because sometimes we come to the end of the day and we just think, I I just can't go on. But when our problems and our worries begin to consume our thinking, that may be an indication that maybe our problems are getting larger than our God. Time for a recalibration. You know, this chapter is just its a, an effective prescription of those of us whose God seems to be small right now. Because in these verses, Isaiah comforts God's people by reminding them that the Lord is much bigger than the world that he created, that compared to him, the nations are just a drop in the bucket, and the inhabitants of the earth are like grasshoppers. 
And his words aren't, you know, they're not meant to belittle us, but to encourage us uh, to look up to him so that we can gain his perspective on life. You see, in most cases, that's what it comes down to, isn't it? It's our perspective. It always comes down to that eventually. Yet God offers us more than just a new perspective. He offers us the power to enable us to live according to that view. If we will depend on him, instead of brooding over our problems, then he will renew our strength, and then wings of faith will lift us above our difficulties. You know, some of them may be huge, and I know there's people in here this morning where you are going through a tremendous situation in your life today. But when we compare them to our great and powerful God, our problems have become like the size of a grain of sand in our grain of sand in our hands. That's what God's word is saying. And that's when we discover that our incomparable God gives us the strength and the power to carry on. And, and that makes all the difference in our lives. It's not so much how we view our problems, it's how are we viewing our God. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 27 to 28, it notes that stress provides a feeling of loneliness. This is what it says. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. You know, so at times when we are under extreme stress, it can feel like God doesn't understand, that he doesn't care. That God just doesn't see my problem from my perspective. And if he did, then he would just turn his head away. But all stress is not harmful. In fact, some of it is meant to be helpful. Proper stress is a blessing. God created us with the ability to be able to feel stresses for a reason. Most people don't understand that stress is not meant to harm us, but to help us. It's our built-in sensors to let us know that we have reached our limits. But oftentimes, most uh, responses we get is we, we, we try to just run or get through the stress in our own strength, right? Or either that or we'll just turn away and run. We'll just try to avoid stress at all costs. So stress is not all bad unless we experience it outside of God's will. You know, we've all seen the load limit signs on, on roads and bridges and, and elevators, right? Knowing that too much strain can cause severe damage or a collapse, engineers have determined the exact amount of stress that various metals or materials can safely endure. And the public then, is, we are given this information through signs that are posted uh, telling us not to exceed the established limits. And to disregard these notices or these signs uh, invites disaster at great expense. So you see, God doesn't want to expose, he doesn't want us to expose ourselves to stresses that are above that in which he allows. We can be sure that whatever he intends us to do, that he can enable us to do it if we ask him uh, to gift us with the strength to do so. Now, if we move outside of his will and take on things that he has not guided us to do, then we are not promised this strength. 
trusting him for strength means abiding in his will. So this load limit is created to keep us on his path for our life. So stress can be a very, very helpful thing for us if we respond accordingly. And there's a lot of stress going around these days. I mean, a lot. And it, it can affect us in the strangest ways. You know, sometimes we just become perplexed and puzzled by life. We become bewildered and unsure. We become unconfident, especially in our walk. And much of the trouble from stress is because we feel we are not able to do what is required. Yet God wants us to be aware that we have a strength that we know nothing about. And he is the holder of the strength. You know, more and more I'm convinced that our best witness to the watching world is not some kind of an argument on trying to prove that Jesus died on the cross as important as that is. To a large degree, our friends and our neighbors will judge our Christianity by how we respond when we take it on the chin. That's what they're watching for. If we don't respond any differently than the rest of the world, then what do we have to offer? If we Christians are truly the light of the word, when is that light most likely seen? Is it in the midday sun or is it in the darkness of night? You know, the answer is obvious here. And it's not like we have to make a choice because we are to be God's light 24 hours a day. But our testimony given during hardship and sorrow will resonate more loudly because it comes at midnight. I mean, anybody can sing when the sun's shining, right? But if we still are seeing at midnight, then the world is going to hear us differently. That's when our testimony and our witness becomes real. Third application to living in these challenging times, reach out and serve someone. Reach out and serve others. You know, one of the best methods to reduce stress and worry and discouragement is to just reach out and serve others. This is very effective because it helps us take our focus off of our problems and turn it and put our focus on other person's problems and help them out. You know, I experience this daily, firsthand when I'm working down at the Sumner Food Bank. There's a, a young man who God had brought into my life probably a couple years ago. And this was a troubled young man, but God said, befriend him. And so this man has been battling extreme addictions. And, and folks, I mean extreme. And there, there have been a number of occasions when I have literally had to talk this man back from the edge. His life is in turmoil to the point where he just wants to end it. And that's happened on multiple occasions. I can recall a time when he was at the end of his rope one day and he gives me a call and, you know, all the, the sensors are just flashing red for this guy. And I said, you know, why, why don't... So I invited him down to the food bank. I said, come on down. I said, just spend the day with me. Let's, let's just serve. It'll do you some good. So he comes down, he spends the afternoon and we're serving and we're talking and we're laughing and by the end of the day, he comes up and he's got this big smile on his face and he gives me a hug and he says, you know, this is exactly what I needed. Now, that didn't take care of his situation, but you know what? It took his mind off of his own problems and it just, it just completely took away the stress for the day. 
my friend, serving is extremely satisfying because, you know what, that's what we've been designed to do. That's what we've been created to do. You know, I read a story about a woman who had a dream one night, and she dreamed that she was having a conversation with God, and she was angry. She was upset because of all the evil and all the tragedy that she was seeing going on in life around her. So she complained to God. She says, God, why don't you do something about all this? And God turns to her and smiles and gently said, I did. I created you. We are saved to serve. We are healed to help. We are blessed to be a blessing. God has a ministry for you in his church. He has a ministry for you in this church. And he has a mission for you in this world. And there is a service project for every energy level, every physical ability, every time and talent. Because when it comes down to it, the most precious commodity that we could give anybody, the most precious commodity that we have is our time. And that's the most valued gift that we can give to anybody. But sometimes we'd rather just write a check, check the box, rather than get involved personally. Yet God is calling us to to give our most precious commodity by taking time to become a friend of those in need and to witness God's love to them. We will never be more like Jesus than when we reach out and serve others. And it will also do wonders to our perspective, and it will also reduce our stress level. So in closing, you know, let me summarize this morning's message. Our greatest need is to look up and to see the sufficiency of our God. And as long as we look at our problems, we are not looking at God. Because when we look at our problems, then they will always seem too big for us. Always. They'll seem too big for us to handle because in reality, they are too big for us. I mean, who among us is equal to the, the truly the daunting issues that we, we experience in life today? I mean, we've got people that are going through divorce right now. We've got people that are, you know, we've, we've lost loved ones. You know, I lost a loved one. I lost my sister over Christmas. We have destroyed careers. We have massive financial setbacks. Our sons and daughters who may be struggling in their faith. We have our parents are growing old. Maybe there's a collapse of a dream. Huge financial setbacks. Maybe, you know, an attack of severe depression. We have mental health issues. Uh, that are, seem to be increasing in our day, or, or maybe, you know, we have just suffered a massive heart attack. I mean, who is equal and sufficient for these things? Yet they come, and we do find ways to cope, but we are not equal to them, and sometimes our troubles just come in waves, and sometimes those waves can just utterly overwhelm us. But remember, it is not the magnitude of our problems that matter, my friends. It is the magnitude of our God and how we see him. Our God is so big that he holds the universe in one hand and he holds our our hands in the other. Yet we continue to wonder if God's bigger than our current problems. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The Bible begins with this wonderful first sentence and in fact, it is one of the greatest first sentences in all of literature. This is the first great truth that God wants us to know. Know this, and the whole universe makes sense. Doubt this, and deny this, and you have missed the central reality of life. 
because it is that divine question that answers how did all this come to be? And if we truly believe that God created everything and if he did it by the power of his word and if he spoke and everything came into existence, if that's true, then why should we doubt that he can strengthen us? And if he can speak and call forth the stars in the sky by name, then he can certainly cause one of those stars to lead the wise men to Bethlehem. If he can create a furry donkey, he can certainly make that donkey talk. Now, for those of you who are new to the Bible, you're going to have to go read Numbers chapter 22 to understand that one. But if he can cause a virgin to conceive and give birth to the Son of God, then he can raise his son from the dead as well. Miracles are no problem for those who have the right perspective of God and who truly believe because God will help all the need, uh, give all the help that we need because he has the st all the strength and the power that created the universe. The issue is not our problems. The issue is how we see God. If God is, says, is who he says he is, then we have every reason to be grateful. We have every reason to be full of hope and every reason to walk in strength in the in this midst of this most crazy world that we live in. Amen.